Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Romans with this message entitled, The Blessed Man. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 4. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the statement we find in the text we read this morning that God justifies the ungodly. And we were ungodly and you justified us, you saved us, you forgave us our sins, you blessed us. Help us, O Lord, to understand who is a blessed man. And help us to rejoice in the blessings you have heaped upon us. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us turn to Romans 4. 1 through 8, the blessed man, if you are Greek scholars, Homakarios Anthropos. Recently somebody made a reservation at a restaurant and said, Bishop Matthew Makarios will be coming. And I am a bishop, and I, my name is Matthew, and I am Makarios. The blessed man. Who is a blessed man? Michael Phelps with eight Olympic gold medals. Warren Buffett and Bill Gates with billions and billions and billions of dollars. President George W. Bush, the most powerful man in the world. Who is the most blessed man? The most healthy man, wise philosopher, Man admired of all, not according to the Bible. The most blessed man is the one who is right with God. The one who has been acquitted in the court of God. One who has been declared righteous by God. One whose sins have been forgiven. One to whom God imputes his righteousness and not puts into his account his own sins. The blessed man is the justified man on the basis of Christ's redemption and propitiatory sacrifice. He is declared righteous through his faith in Jesus Christ. Such a man has zero boasting in himself. Instead, he praises God all his life, solely Deo Gloria. The blessed man. First, what is the testimony of Abraham? Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Judaism boasted that Abraham, the progenitor of Israel, was justified by his own works and not by faith. The book of Jubilees 
state, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord. And well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Rabbis cited Genesis 15, 6 as proof that Abraham was justified by his works and not by faith. Sirach chapter 44 and verse 19 states, No one has been found like Abraham in glory. Abraham had obeyed the law perfectly even before it had been given. But Paul stated in Romans 3 and verse 27, Where then is boasting it is excluded? The Jews were saying, Paul, you are wrong. Our father Abraham was justified by his works. Paul says, if indeed Abraham was justified by his works, he can boast, but not before God. That is the truth is, he was not justified by his works according to scripture. For Paul, Abraham was no exception to the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. The Jews prided themselves because they descended from Abraham. They thought Abraham's works merited his salvation and God owed him salvation. And you see this in Luke chapter 18, the Pharisees standing up and telling God how righteous he was. That represents Jews of that day. In other words, Abraham worked for his salvation. God owed him his justification. But the truth is, Paul said in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Abraham was a sinner. And Joshua told us in Joshua 24 that Abraham was an idol worshiper before God of glory called him. Abraham was ungodly. And every sinner is ungodly. He's a sinner. He's an enemy of God. There is one God. There is one people. There is one way of salvation which is always by grace through faith. And all people of God from Genesis to Revelation is saved by grace. Not earning salvation, but by receiving the free gift of salvation. When you turn Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, we discover Noah found grace in the sight of God. So also Abraham found grace. And every true elect child of God finds grace in the sight of God. Abraham believed in the promised Messiah and was saved by grace alone. 
We read in John 8, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad, and they asked, who are you? He said, before Abraham was, I am. I am the Messiah. I am God. I am the Lord. Abraham saw me and was saved by his faith. Turn with me to the book of Galatians to prove this point that Abraham was saved by his faith in the promised Messiah. Galatians 3 and verse 8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. That is, through your offspring. That is Jesus Christ. And verse 18 of Galatians 3, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So Paul is saying to his Jewish adversaries, who believed in salvation by good works, he says, you are wrong. Abraham was saved by grace through faith. Paul says, Abraham is no exception to the principle that I have been articulating justification by faith. And so, Abraham has nothing to boast before God. Paul is right. And Judaism was wrong and is wrong. But Paul moves toward the second point, which is the testimony of the scripture itself. In Romans 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? And he quotes it. Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. What does the scripture say about this matter of Abraham's justification? All scripture is God spoken and is profitable for teaching. What does the scripture say? Hegraphe. The scripture refers to written word. It can refer to part of the written scripture or to the whole of the written scripture. The written scripture says, in other words, though written many, many, many years ago by different people, it is the word of God. It always speaks to those who read with faith. It speaks to you today at this moment. In other words, in the scripture, God himself speaks authoritatively. The scripture is the proof for all teachings. The scripture is the standard for doctrine and life, which this church affirms, declares, practices. 
The scripture is the final authority. The scripture is ever settled in heaven. The scripture is perfect. It is flawless. And I preach here. The scripture and its authority. But when I. Counsel people on the basis of scripture. They buckle. They asserted it. Affirmed it to join the church. But when we bring the scripture. Bear upon their existence. Their situation. Their life. They don't want to hear it. And they slander me. And slander all ministers of the gospel. Who believe in the scripture's authority. And who apply it. To life. Paul says. What does the scripture say? Judaism used Genesis 15.6 to prove. That Abraham was justified by works. But Paul uses the same scripture to prove the opposite. Abraham was justified by faith. Which is the correct interpretation of that text. We are told Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned. To him for righteousness. Abraham's faith was personal. That he trusted in a personal God. It is not trusting in some undefined thing. Your trust should be and your confidence should be. The infinite personal God. You rest in him. And put your whole weight upon him. And you discover he is able to bear your weight. And your concerns. Your past, your present, your future, your life and your death. Abraham's faith also was propositional. Meaning he believed in the promise that God made to him. Concerning a vast multitude of descendants. But his faith was not resting on the vast multitude of descendants. But in one descendant. The Messiah. Who will save him. And save every elect of God. Abraham believed God by believing his promises to give his, this aged man multitude of children. One of which would be the Messiah, the Savior of Abraham and of the world. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This word reckon. Appears five times in six verses, three through eight. Very important word. Logizomai. It is a banking term, an accounting term. We have accountants in this church. It deals with reality, not fiction. 
It means this, friends. What one did not possess is put into his account by another. One had zero money in his account. Now he has a million dollars in his account. Someone else put this into his account. This is grace. This is pure gift. This is not wages he earned. It is God who credits, reckons, puts into our account. Not your father, not your mother, not your uncle, nobody. It is God who puts into your account righteousness, salvation. And God is not putting into our account our unrighteousness. Also learn this, God is not reckoning our faith as righteousness. God is not considering our faith in lieu of righteousness. It is God's righteousness put into our account through the channel of our faith, which itself is God's gift to us. Turn to chapter 4 and verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom, what is it, God credits faith? No, here it is. God credits what? Righteousness apart from works. Turn to verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that, notice, righteousness might be credited to them. Friends, we are unrighteous, we need righteousness. And all of a sudden, we find that God put into my account righteousness of God to deal with all my unrighteousness. God's righteousness is put into our account, imputed to us in place of our unrighteousness, in view of our faith, which also is a gift from God. Faith is the instrumental cause, not the efficient cause. Efficient cause is grace, what God has done in Jesus Christ. Our faith, friends, is a gift of God. Our faith is likened to beggars' hand lifted up to receive gift of grace. This word is used, logizomai, in Philemon. Philemon, verse 18 and 19, speaking about Onesimus, the slave, and his debt. Listen to this language. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, what is it? Charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. I will pay it back. You understand, sir, what I'm saying? Jesus Christ is saying, if, oh God, if Matthew owes you anything, put it to my account. I will pay it. Our debt put into Christ's account and his infinite riches 
put into my account. Abraham believed God and in his promise of a son, a savior of the world, the seed of the woman, seed of Abraham, son of Virgin Mary, who saved Abraham and David and all Old Testament saints and all saints of the New Testament times and now. Number three, Romans 4, 4 and 5. And here we read, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Justification by faith, in other words, is God's gracious act. The one who works receives wages, not grace. If I work for my salvation, God owes it to me. And I will boast. How even Christians go around and boasting. They are better parents. They know everything. They are this. They are that. They worked hard. They made the money. Sucking up all the oxygen. And with no understanding of what grace is all about. If I work for my salvation, God owes it to me and I boast daily that I saved myself by my good works. Then salvation is not by grace. And I have reason to boast. I have become a Pharisee of Luke 18. He boasts in his salvation and looks down upon the public and says, I'm not even like that publican. Such people go around elevating and levitating in their arrogance and tell everybody else how they should live. Don't forget, friends, you are saved by grace through faith, soli deo gloria. Don't boast. It's excluded. But the one who does not work for his salvation but trust in the one who justifies the ungodly. To such a one, God credits his faith for righteousness, even the righteousness of God, apart from any work that we do. Someone would argue that believing is working. I have a man who is on the radio, and uh, he, he says that people ask, what must I do to be saved? He says, I cannot tell you. What about believing? No, believing is work, he says. Believing is work. You cannot believe. It is work. But here the text says, believing is not work. Chapter 4, verse 5 shows believing is not working. Now, you have to be a little intelligent to understand it. Stupid people cannot understand it. The one who does not work but believe. The contrast is working and trusting. Trusting is the opposite of 
working. Believing, in other words, is not a meritorious work. And now listen to the surprising and shocking statement which is God who justifies the ungodly. It is not that you washed yourself a little bit and make yourself a little acceptable to God. Yes, more dirt is on you, but I'm not all that bad. No, the truth is when God saves you, you are ungodly. You are unrighteous. You are wicked. You are a sinner. You are an enemy of God. You are without strength. All have sinned. All are ungodly. All are enemies of God. But God justifies the ungodly. And Paul called himself, friends, chief of sinners. The Bible says you should not justify the guilty. Then how can God contradict the scripture? There is a paradox. But the answer is found in chapter 3. He justifies sinners justly. Because our sin problem is dealt with in the life and death of another. Jesus Christ, God's eternal son. God who justifies the ungodly. Oh, meditate on it. And then you will discover, oh, the munificence of God's grace. Unleashed toward me. Toward me. Even me, the ungodly, wicked sinner, an enemy of God. He pursued me and he found me. He saved me. He justified me. Hallelujah. He never justifies the godly. The righteous. He always justifies ungodly. Why do you think people don't want to believe in Jesus Christ? Because they maintain they are godly and righteous. They are not wicked at all. They measure themselves by their own perceived standard. God in Jesus Christ always justifies the ungodly on the basis of Christ's redemptive and atoning work on the cross. Come to Christ. Ask what? Ungodly, sir. And go home as godly. Come as weary of the burden of real guilt and go in heavenly peace. The publican cried out, Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and he went home justified. God who justifies the ungodly. The ungodly wretched thief from the cross cried out to Christ. And he said, Today, not tomorrow, sir, today, you'll be with me in paradise, in Syriac language, in paradise, in paradise, to fellowship with God. That is what blessing is all about. To be in paradise with God. So chapter 4 verse 5 is the most important verse in this text. It is music in the sinner's ears. Vilest offender who truly believes that moment. From Jesus, a pardon received. 
William Temple made the statement, the only thing of my own, my very own, which I can contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. So bring your sin. Come as sinner. Come as ungodly. Come as one without strength. Come as the enemy of God. Come as ungodly. He will redeem us from our sin. God justifies the ungodly. This justification is a divine verdict. He can justify you at this very moment. Cry out! Have mercy upon me. A sinner, ungodly, unrighteous, guilty, naked, condemned. Once again, know this. God only justifies the ungodly and condemns the self-righteous. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones speaking. If you do not want to trust in Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins or you will die in the Lord in the Lord or in your sins come believing in Christ who died for your sins but even this faith God will grant you as a gift right now the faith God requires is not mathematical probability it is supernatural faith which God must give you and he does Dr. Stott says Christ became sin with our sins in order that we might become righteous with God's righteousness number four David's own testimony verse 6 through 8 what does David the great sinner say about his salvation? David who was ungodly, he violated God's commandments, he did not keep them, he committed adultery, he murdered, he deceived, how can he be justified by his works? He has no good works, he is ungodly. So listen to his testimony as he celebrates his salvation by grace. David is speaking of the fullness of the blessing, the joy of the fullness of the blessing, the inexpressible and glorious joy of the gospel blessing of the man, Jew or Gentile, to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David did have unrighteousness in his account. A lot of it. Infinite amount of it. Because we sinned against an infinite God. Now God blots that out forever. And in its place, God puts divine righteousness. Hallelujah! Blessed are those... Blessed always are those. Blessed by God are those. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In Christ are those whose iniquities 
are forgiven, whose sins are covered. The text means covered up forever. Whose sin the Lord, <laughs> the Lord does not ever, ever, ever count against him. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for justifying, saving, loving, embracing the ungodly and sending them home clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sending them home in heavenly peace. Sending them home as justified. Sending, sending them home as godly. Sending them home rejoicing. Walking and leaping and praising God. My burden has been lifted, removed forever. I stand liberated. My chains have been broken. Jesus set me free. The gospel set me free. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio with this message entitled, The Blessed Man. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.